you want some? I want some. You want some bad enough, then you come get some. I'm gone. Wait. Hey, freeze, bitch! You freeze, bitch. Oh, shit. I'm fucked. Now back up, put the gun down, and give me a pack of tropical fruit bubblelicious. And some Skittles. Hello, 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 hello. Uh, welcome to Revenge of the 90s. This is the podcast where we talk about the most glorious decade in film, the 1990s. Uh, I am Steve, and with me as always is Anthony Fabiano. Woo, woo. Today we are talking about 1995's Bad Boys, uh, which is perfect timing because as of right now, Bad Boys for Life just came out and it's making bonkers money. But then also, this is a little treat, uh, num, 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 for you uh, Will Smith fans, because we just covered uh, Enemy of the State, so we're on a little bit of a Will Smith run here. So a lot of uh, nice nice parallels going on here. G- good on us. So, Fabs, we've watched Bad Boys now a couple times each yeah. uh, leading up to this, and uh, this movie is goddamn insane. It's, yeah, man, it is bonkers i like literally right before we started recording we were talking about bad boys too because i i started watching that again last night and so my exposure to this now franchise with the third uh installation i saw bad boys 2 first yeah i saw bad boys 2 first and i didn't see bad boys i I think i saw bad boys 2 probably like two or three times before i ever even saw bad boys i was like oh i should probably go back and like rewatch the original and i mean bad boys 2 is definitely like crazier but bad boys had like so many action sequences it's like every six minutes there's got to be something crazy going on but it's amazing it's so much fun they are an amazing duo and taya leone uh she's like a great addition to to the cast and i was super excited that joe uh, pantaleone came what was in the original because he's obviously the captain in the second one uh so yeah it was it was really fun to go back and rewatch this movie so if you're not aware, this is, uh, you might be aware this is a Michael Bay movie, which that always has, there's a, that's a very weighted thing when it's a Michael Bay movie. Um, but this is, this is Michael Bay's first feature too. Um, yep. and it's really interesting. I say this for every podcast, every episode, I always notice, oh, it's very interesting. Um, but it, it is interesting that not only does this Michael Bay's first feature, but, uh, I, I was reading up on the production of this and Will Smith and Martin Lawrence were actually still both filming their sitcoms at this time. So Fresh Prince and Martin were were both on the air filming still when they were making this movie. So like, uh, and I don't think there, I don't think it it shouldn't be uh, glossed over that this is a movie that has two black leads carrying like the action movie template. Which I mean, I don't know if it had ever been done to this like large a degree in terms of like budget and like scale before so like it's a super significant movie for a lot of reasons not just for like the evolution of like the action blockbuster which i know you were looking to get into but but also just like what it did for like uh will smith and and martin lawrence's careers and and obviously michael bays and like it, it there's a lot of influence that this movie ended up having but it's also like the earliest obvious sign of course of just like Here's the thing about Michael Bay is is like I think he, a lot of the stuff he does works. Like I, I really do like a lot of stuff he does. Like I think like um, Thirteen Hours was a great movie. I think Pain and Gain was a fun movie. I thought Transformers Three was like the one they got right. 
because I felt it was like the best mix of like insane action and just like a good story that that worked. Um, I I, th- I mean, Armageddon is fantastic. The Rock is fantastic. Like there's a lot of good that Michael Bay does, but he's also just pure excess. Like Michael Bay, if he if, if it was up to him, every freaking movie he makes would be like 17 hours long. Like he was the he is a director made for streaming services because it's like nobody has ever had the balls to be like, dude, why did you make this scene 20 minutes long? Like, yeah, a bit. You're see, totally like, right, there, Steve. It, it's like there's a scene in Bad Boys where like they discover a dead body in an office and like Will Smith is doing his investigating or whatever. And Martin Lawrence is like trying not to puke. And it's like a seven minute sequence. And it's just like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's no reason on earth that any of the Bad Boys movies should be two and a half hours long. And I just think it was like from the very beginning, nobody was like, uh, Michael, like, dude, you shouldn't make this movie like three hours long, man. Like you could probably cut some of this stuff out. And it's a and yet it's still like a breakneck pace of a plot, like you said, where it's like actions happening every five minutes. And it's just like, I mean, you're just like strapping in for a bunch of random shit to happen throughout. Yeah, and you're totally right. And I, I think he does I'm I'm a big like Michael Bay fan. I, I like most totally. of the stuff he does. Um because I'm taking it with a grain of salt of like, oh okay, I know what I'm getting into with a Michael Bay movie. Um but his early stuff is there's definitely like similar elements um to some of like the later, crazier, more big budget things. But his early stuff is like plot wise it's it's some really good like storytelling um bad boys uh, obviously his first feature but then the rock like the rock's one of my favorite 90s action movies it's it's really great it's obviously super ridiculous um it's one of sean connery's last roles which is insane he's able to get nicholas cage in a nice sweet spot and i i think uh what's funny is his first two uh features are pretty reined in in terms of Michael Bayness. And then once he gets the, I think he gets, now he starts to get the juice of like, okay, this dude can open. He can, he can get some big uh, star power in his films because like you said, Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence weren't mega stars yet. This was kind of their first big stepping stone feature film. Then he gets Nicolas Cage and he gets Sean Connery, who's like obviously a legend, and Ed Harris in The Rock, who was having a great 90s. Um, then he steps it up with Armageddon at the end of the decade, and things start to get crazy because he that's like packed with every 90s star that could ever exist. And that's where you get very CGI-heavy movies, less like practical stunting. And from there, he's kind of like off to the races. So I really love these like first two movies of his because – they're way more like grounded in terms of like Michael Bay action movies. And there's some like really great plots and great, just funny scenes um, that happen. Like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are just perfect together. And I think this movie more than bad boys Two kind of showcases their relationship. And I, obviously I think that's, you, you have to do that because you're setting them up as partners. So, um, but in terms of having two black leads, you're completely right. I didn't even think about that, which is like embarrassing that that didn't even crossed my mind. But yeah, having two black leads in to start off an action franchise, it was completely groundbreaking. And, you know, that is a credit to the talent of Lawrence and Will Smith and that like 
I mean, to me, they carry the movie like they're they're, It's not I don't necessarily think like the action is doing anything groundbreaking other than just being like balls to the wall insane. But that movie, I don't necessarily think this movie works if you don't have the two guys with the charisma and leading star power that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence both have, because, you know, other than other than that, I mean, it, it, it. I, I like you said it's a, it's a more it's a more grounded effort by Michael Bay to some degree, which means that it's a little more Biden. But yeah, I mean that's still like just a, a, a two hundred on the scale of one to ten of just like insanity in an action movie. But like, but it is more. I mean, this is relatively a a by the numbers plot. So there are two cops. Yeah. They work in the. Uh, narcotics division of the police department in, my, in Miami and uh, the big heroin bus that they had got stolen. And so, you know, then they got to go get it back basically. And so then they're taking on like a, a drug kingpin who uh, had like an inside guy or whatever. So it's like a relatively like normal plot that I think is carried by the two cop leads. Um, but it should be noted that like, I'm not going to let Michael Bay skate by on like being like, Oh yeah, this is like pretty restrained effort because like, dude, <laughs> there, there are so many insane things about this movie, starting with like the set design. Like it's as if they like an alien came to earth and had no concept of like how human beings lived. And yeah, like Michael, Michael right. Bay hired that person and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just design the sets for us. Like, Taya Leone's in an apartment, her apartment at one point, and there's like nothing but a couch and or no, no, it's in this like prostitute village that they're in at the beginning of the movie where like it's in this giant like old like Al Capone thing where like oh, the, the Al suite. Yeah. It's yeah. And it's weird. like but it's like it's like a, a prostitute village and like she's in one of the rooms and it's just a couch and the biggest clock on the floor that I've ever seen in my life. And like, it's like lit. The room is lit by that. And you're just like, uh, okay. And like the windows are like 45 feet high and, and there's like columns. And so it's like very obvious throughout this movie that they were just like, shit, like we don't have any actual sets. What can we use? Because like Will Smith's apartment just had like shelves of vases. Like there was nothing but vases. And, and like then, the most photos of himself I've ever seen in anybody's, house or apartment because Taylor Leone's like, Oh, like who are these pictures of this, this guy? Because they, he, Martin Lawrence has to pretend to be Will Smith's character. And so he's pretending that that place is his apartment. And so she's just like, I don't like, who's this guy. And instead of being like, Oh, that's a family member. He's like, Oh, that's like, that's my partner. And so it's a whole like, uh, but it's like literally well, 15 pictures of himself. Well, that gets into like, that gets into the one of the major plot devices of this movie that like kind of is just insane is that like okay so this movie's like two oh, literally almost two and a half hours long and I, why is there a, a, a and i know this is i know why because it's freaking michael bay and he like whatever he finds funny he just like throws in and there's again nobody to check him and be like hey man uh, but like so martin lawrence has to pretend to be will smith's character mike lowry to yeah convinced Taya Leone to come with him because she only trusts Mike Lowry, the other uh, prostitute woman. Um, she told Taya Leone that. And so that sets in motion, like essentially the entire plot of the movie. And so she 
like frantically won't go with anybody but Mike Lowry, won't trust anybody else. So Martin Lawrence has to convince her to come with him by lying. Okay, so once she's in your custody, why don't you just give up the ruse and be like, look, like we saved you. You're safe now. Mike Lowry, the real one's coming and we're going to protect you from now on. Like at no point in the rest of the movie does that play any role other than for just like ongoing stretch to the limit, just like like to a nauseating degree comic relief to where yeah. like Martin, You're totally Martin right. Lawrence's wife, Martin Lawrence's wife gets like really pissed off at one point because he, he like lied to her. But it's like that's the job. I mean, I, and it's just like, why am I watching an hour of a subplot where it could have just been like, Oh yeah. Like, Hey, <laughs> like what? Like why? I mean, it could have totally trimmed the movie down to like an hour and 40 minutes, like a very normal, like a normal, like a normal movie. Yeah. You're right. I actually, you're, you're totally right. I would, didn't even think about that while rewatching it that, Oh, this is like very unnecessary. He could just be like, listen, I know you're freaked out. Like Mike's my partner. We're best friends. I just wanted to make sure you were safe because he, I, we, like, I know your friend who died through Mike. So this is his apartment. That's why there's all these photos of him. I can, pr- he'll be here in 15 minutes. And yeah, you don't need to have that whole fake s- sub story. I mean, it does add some like humor. Maybe that's one of the main reasons they, they wanted to do it. But yeah, it makes the movie an extra 30 minutes long when it doesn't need to be. Well, and it's total Michael Bay because there's a, even a sequence like there's like a five to seven, ten minute like moment where Taylor Leone's like apparently super horned up in bed because yeah. like she at no point is like ever insinuating that she's like that attracted to Martin Lawrence. She like really just kind of like makes fun of him and keeps asking like, you're Mike, you know, like I thought Mike was this and this and she like tries to get him to have sex with her. Or, and, you know, he is all like, you know, sweating because he's obviously married and stuff. But it's like, OK, like that does that serves even less of a purpose to this movie because nothing happens from that. And it's just that's just like that's Michael Bay. Like he does that in every movie where like that's why, like, I mean, these movies are like every one of his movies is two and a half hours long. Like Mike Pearl Harbor was three and a half hours. And that was like not even like. That was not even close to being out there for him because yeah, it could have right. been like no, 17 hours, you know? You're, you're so, totally right. Like it's in that scene in, in a normal movie is also like a minute and a half long. Where that's where oh, he, he just like, lets gives, it go. Yeah, that's where he like gives up. It's like, I'm married, I'm married. She's like, I knew, I knew it. You're not really Mike. Instead, it's like, yeah, it becomes a five to seven minute scene. And then it's like, okay, but we're still going to keep going with this ruse. Like, don't worry. Like, we, we know you guys love it. So. Well, that's why like that's why the Transformers movies aren't to me classics, because he devotes all these like weird asides to like side characters having like weird scenes or like just bizarre like sequences that have nothing to do with like the actual plot or devoting like, you know, in Transformers Two, the one uh, Transformer is like a construction vehicle and the way it transforms is like, of course, it's like the two wrecking balls are like it's actual nuts. And yeah. like it's they're like swinging around and like there's like 82 shots of that. And it's just like, OK, man, like he's a very he's very much just like like Michael Bay is like two 12 year old kids in a trench coat 
on t- and, and like they've just been like making movies and, like, and no one has like noticed and it's just like as if two like preteens were just like oh and then uh and then this thing happens and he crashes and it's like this and then and it's just like and like Maybe like their dad, maybe like Jerry Bruckheimer's their dad or something. Like, I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> I love that Michael Bay theory that he's two, two like 11 year old boys do like eternal 12 year old boys, like yeah. stuck in like an eternal time loop. And like, they just decided to make the best of it and just become directors. <laughs> They're like, what's the most generic name we could come up with? Michael <laughs> so yeah that's that's my theory that i am going to prove someday i love it so where does this uh where do like mike and marcus sit for you in terms of like cop duos so like all time they would actually probably be in my all-time cop duo list like every decade included um i think Riggs and Murtaugh are probably you know number one all time but we're talking 90s these guys are – the hard part is their second movie didn't come out till uh, 2004, I think, like nine years t- after this one. 2002, I think. Okay. Yeah, like that – Like so it's like seven years after this one. Um, so they only have like one body of work. But, you know, I think the sequels for these other ones also didn't. So like you, you got to put in like Rush Hour, uh, Men in Black, another Will Smith vehicle. Uh, one movie that we already did before in an earlier pod, Seven. Uh, they're they're a great cop duo, uh, but you know I'm gonna say they're probably they're the most fun. We don't have that um, awkward time of them being the first like 40 minutes of them having to become like friends. I like that we're already already with them, yes. and so we, we get that like fun backstory. We get how much you know Mike Mike cares about you know uh, his family and that they really have each other's backs. So, you know, I'm going to say they're, they're probably my favorite cop duo, especially of the 90s. And then I, I, st- I haven't seen the third one yet. I don't know if you've seen the third one. But, you know, the second one, they do a great job with that. They introduce Gabrielle Union's character, who's Martin Lawrence's uh, sister. Um, so, like, it just kind of furthers that bond. And, and they do play on that, the whole thing with, uh, like, Riggs and Murtaugh. You know, I'm getting too old for this shit. They really play on that in the second one where Martin Lawrence, because Martin Lawrence, he's the, um, he's the family man. And so the job is way riskier for him because he, have, he, has, he has this thing to go home to that's really important to him. He has a ton of kids. And so that's kind of what the whole second movie is about, about whether or not it's time for him to retire because, you know, Will Smith is – he loves the action. He loves the juice. That's like what drives him. Um, and he's like the eternal single guy. And so it's like a really good balancing act that, that, that is their, their dynamic because like Riggs and Murtaugh, you know, uh, one of them is getting over his wife dying. And the other is the family man who's like right at the brink of retirement. And so like, that's a great dynamic. And so I think you need to have that, um, in order to have a good, uh, cop duo and, as popular as the Rush Hour movies were, like, it, you know, in, in hindsight, it's kind of racist. Their, their, their duo is like, is founded on, oh, you're Asian. So like, that's funny. And like, I'm going to play on that. Um, so I think this is, this is just like a really pure dynamic. And so I think this is, this is definitely my favorite. I, I, and I, the one thing that I 
really agree with is that I love that they just toss us into the relationship between these two guys to where in like the first five, five, 10 minutes, like they're just chilling, chilling in the car and they're just like having like a back and forth and like, like ribbing each other. And then they, they, they do like the bad boys theme uh, and they sing it in the car. And like, so I, I love that. Yeah. You're just like tossed right into it. Cause then you don't have to waste like the first 40 minutes of them getting like matched up and being like, this guy sucks ass. And then of course, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like you, I don't need that necessarily in every, yeah, in totally. every hot movie. Like it kind of excuse that um, trope. So I love that. And, you know, I think that this definitely has the this has the ability to potentially turn into um, like an all time cop duo with the fact that the third one is is going to do as well as it is, because not only is this one going to make good money, but a fourth one has already been like announced and in production. Oh, it's amazing. So and so like but to what you're saying about the second one is that the third one takes it even a step further with uh, Martin Lawrence's character, uh, Marcus. It is Marcus, right? Yeah, yeah, Marcus. Yeah. And so Marcus actually full on retires. And because Mike gets into a bunch of trouble, uh, he, I think, has to come out of retirement. Um, and so, like, very, it's like this, you know, pull to where Marcus really wants to get out because of, like you said, he has so much to lose because he does have a family. But, you know, he's pulled back into it. And so obviously he's going to for however many more movies there will be. But I think what this the way that it seems to me that they're they're potentially trying to template it is like kind of based around like the fast and furious model in that now they're building like more of a team around these two guys. And while Mike and Marcus might continue to still be the central points of the movies moving forward as like the leaders, now you can plug and play like different like people in the team and have them play off like a younger, like a younger group of people in like a more like modern age. And so you could play with all these great elements and like, then you get to just ramp up the action in every single movie. And I think what's really going to help the franchise is again, not to like knock him all the time. Cause I do like his stuff, but I think you had to remove Michael Bay from the equation because you already got two Michael Bay bad boys movies. Okay. I, the fact that now you're getting fresh eyes on it, and like you might get to tell a better like narrative and you get a better a different eye for action blah 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 like that's that like i was blown away by how good bad boys for life's trailer was like it looks like it's it really looks like it's it's i would say as like uh maybe invigorating an action movie as john wick like i mean it's got like those elements to it to where it's like a very imaginative very colorful, very chore- like well choreographed action movie, and now you've got guys like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence involved. Who again, the charisma is still there. This has the chance. We were just talking about this with Enemy of the State that like Will Smith might not have any franchises. He might now. Like this, He's got this one is now, gonna, baby. Woo, baby! Like he is rocking and rolling in a franchise that I think legitimately could be like, like a really good action franchise moving forward. Like we have like right now, if you're an action fan, like it's a legit time to be like a fan of these movies because you've got got a lot of good stuff out there, man. You got the fast and furious franchise. Bad boys is back. Like it's the mission impossible. You've got, um, there's a couple other things coming out, uh, with, with more movies. Uh, the matrix matrix is, uh, coming back out. Yep. So like, I mean, it's just like, a good time to be in action because what's happening is uh, people are taking it. It's the same thing with like the horror genre and that like people, people are coming around to taking the genre more seriously 
and like trying to innovate rather than just make like a stale co- carbon copy of what's come before. And I think that that's really like working to, you know, this movie's benefit and a lot of the action that is out today, which is to another point that you had, which is this movie kind of broke the mold of like the blockbuster format, you know, in the mid nineties. Cause like up until that point, it was kind of a different way to action movies were approached differently. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about early uh, 90s action movies, and I think 80s, the 80s was a pretty good decade. Um, I mean, I think it has my one of my favorites, Die Hard. Um, you get the Lethal Weapon series. So you get these uh, very great traditional action movies that have uh, great villains, uh, new fresh protagonists that are super interesting to watch. And then the early 90s, you get True Romance, which is another, it's just amazing and you get Speed, which is a great, great, great Keanu Reeves vehicle. And then, you know, when you look back, I think people look so fondly on um, on all of those action movies I listed because they, they had room to breathe. They were very plot-heavy. Um, Speed, you have this whole, like, emotional uh, plot of his uh, partner, Harry, being killed – and you're just like, oh my gosh, action movies. So if you, you put yourself in the early 2000s, you're like, oh my gosh, action movies have become like so diluted and like crazy. Like I miss these early 90s. And I think my, uh, Michael Bay kind of was the one that bridged that gap and transitioned into this new sequence because those uh, true romance and speed are 92, 93-ish. 95 is when Bad Boys comes out. And then if you look at everything that happens after that, uh, so what Bad Boys does, and one of the things we like about it is it does give you that just, it's, it is excessive. It's over two hours and 20 minutes, but it gives you something every five to 10 minutes. There's a crazy news, like set uh, set piece, uh, sequence, card chase, something blows up. And then you really start to see that in uh, mid to late nineties action movies. After this, you get, Face Off, Independence Day, The Rock, Con Air, Armageddon. Every eight minutes, there is a giant set piece. And that became like the standard, uh, I mean, up through now even. Like, it hasn't really stopped since then. And I think Michael Bay is kind of the the father of this new era of action movies for the last 25 years, which is insane to think about. I think now, though, like you said, they become more choreographed and they're becoming now more grounded in reality. And I think that was the shift back because then you got like the matrix in 99 where it became like the whole, like how far can we go with technology? And then um, I think John Wick kind of brought us back into, we don't need to go far with technology. Now I want you to see like how, uh, how much a master the main protagonist is at their ability to fight the bad guy. And it's shifted us back into more grounded, but still crazy action movies. And this is also due in large part to like the superhero genre kind of like absorbing like the action genre. Uh, But, you know, the stakes just keep getting raised and raised. And we've talked about this before to where like there, there has come a time where for a lot of these movies, like the only way they can like, May, you know, it, it, the universe always has to be at stake. It's always the universe is at stake or the world is at stake or, you know, that it, it, like it's somebody hell bent on, you know, doing this to the entire planet. And that's, 
you know, for the long for a long time, that was something kind of owned by like maybe like James Bond. But not every action movie felt like it had to do that. Like, again, in Bad Boys. Actually, throughout the whole thing, basically, they're just Miami cops just taking on like drug kingpins in the area. Like, it's not necessarily like, oh, they're releasing a uh, serum into the atmosphere and it's going to like. You know, like, it, which is what like Fast and Furious became, which is like, yeah, totally. Went, You're right. They were yeah. the first they're stealing VCRs, dual VCR combo TVs in the first one. And by the last one, they were like on an on an ice sheet, like with a nuclear submarine. Like It was like, what? So, like, I, I appreciate certain franchises that operate within like the limits that it gives itself and like still manages to like exceed, you know, either expectations or like still, still is able to like set a bar and jump over it. And so bad boys is kind of like one of those where like, it's so character driven. Like I care so much about Mike and Marcus that like the stakes for me are raised because if one of them were to get killed, it would be like a devastating character loss. So like, no, you're totally right. And, and I like that. um, Some of these movies are so personal the thing they're they're trying to achieve like that's why i think was so successful uh like one of the things that made john wick so successful was that like his whole thing was he was getting vengeance for his dog that was killed and it wasn't this like he was the greatest assassin that had ever lived but he's just getting vengeance for his own personal story and the only people affected are the people the assassins within this world and then you start to learn um more about his backstory and so i think it expands it a little bit and then you're in the second one you're along for the ride of like okay like you know, now we know about john wick we know like who he was and it becomes more personal but you're totally right that the reason i care about the guys in bad boys is because i care about them i care about their families i don't want anything bad to happen to them and so i think that's that's a really if you're able to do that in an action movie i think you you that helps you start a really great action franchise. Now, the other thing that I love about this movie, and I really, I like did not even like remember this until I watched it again, but like bad boys has, but I think maybe by far the best, like best one of the best action scores ever. Like Mark Mancina did the score for this which when I was listening to it originally, I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like Speed. And he also did Speed. He did Twister. He did uh, Con Air. He did like a bunch of stuff in the 90s. Oh, dude, and, I am like, like hearing all of them jumbled up in my head right now. And like, yes, that makes total sense. They're all very similar. And like the main score, the main like theme of this when it's playing um, in the opening credits, when they're like doing like the cool shots of like Miami skyline and stuff like that. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so good. Dude, it just like sets up the movie. A, how good of a backdrop is like Miami as your main city? It's it's just the colors. Oh. Like it, it was like the perfect yeah. choice by Michael Bay to have this movie take place in Miami because of like the color palette. He, well, I mean, this is his first feature, but the color palette that he likes to use, like every movie after this, it's like those those neon hues that like really come through and it makes so much sense in like the bad boys universe. He loves orange. Like he's always got, he's always just like flooding a a set with orange and it worked. Like you said, it works really well here because it's in Miami. And I love, I love that they did Miami because like for whatever reason, I originally, I used to think like 
because it had been a long time since I had seen this. And so I, I, I just unfortunately didn't think much about it. But like, I just like always thought it was like in L.A. for some reason. And like, I'm so glad that it's not another movie set in like L.A. where ever, you know, so many or, or New York or something where it's like, I, I feel like there's not a lot. Obviously, there's like Miami Vice, but I mean, I don't know if there has been as much that has used like a different setting and as well as like bad boys did like it lean it like you said it really leans into like the surrounding kind of like landscape the color the culture like it, it really it's a visual treat you know? it really is so i yeah I, I really love that um but yeah like the score for this is just kick ass and um it really is working in this movie's favor. It's like a score beyond like it, the nineties. Like it's a timeless one that doesn't feel dated or anything. Like that's the thing too, about action movie scores is that I would say since like the, maybe the beginning of the, of the millennium, there aren't as many like action movies that have like recognizable or memorable scores. Like this was still an era where like they were trying to create like a score that you would recognize when you hear it. And like, this is one that's just like, I think one of the best. And, and, you know, I mean, you just don't hear that. Like, again, t- we love John Wick, but like, I don't know the score to John Wick. You know, yeah, like, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I just know, I don't know. I know the world, which they do a great job with that. But yeah, I don't know the score at all. Um, and really, it's he, like, oh, good. Oh, no, I was just going to say like, and that even gets into like some of the biggest stuff, like a lot of the superhero movies and stuff is like if you want to continue to call those like, you know, the best, the the big action movies that we have. I mean, obviously we talked about some other ones like mission impossible has still a great, I mean, theme that they build off of, but like, okay. So, so superhero movies and fast and furious, I mean, do any of them have themes that you could recognize other than maybe the Avengers? I mean, it's, it's tough. Like not, it's sort of just kind of like a bygone thing now. Um, so you said it wasn't outdated. Um, you know what was outdated? The fucking fashion and the fucking haircuts. Oh, oh dude. The- oh, my Who God. <laughs> so I was like, I, it's funny because I was making notes of it like as I was watching it and I could not keep up with like how many things would like come on the screen. I'd be like, oh, my God. Holy shit. Holy shit. Because like I was like, oh, Martin Lawrence is wearing like a red vest with like red pants when he when he goes to work for some reason and then it was like will smith's suits are like like futuristic to where like they're like that 90s like four sizes too big and Dude, it was like wore, and like, like down to his knees or like he wore like the coolest like all black with like leather straps across just like amazing like modern cowboy and then <laughs> that that uh, the one of the villains is wearing a Kangol hat and like every season the whole time in. the whole oh time oh my god <laughs> like how unthreatening are you dude <laughs> and like uh, there's also in that in the bad guys like group of dudes there's the dude always wearing the Kangol hat <laughs> and then there's like and they're all like Miami drug guys so like oh, they're all, you sure. know they're all like they're all like skeezy like uh, sweaty like you know real like kind of like vibrant suits or like the Kangle hat and a gold chain or whatever. But then there's just like one Italian mobster just thrown into the mix. <laughs> he's like, he's like this old like, as shit too. He's like 80 years old, <laughs> super overweight. Like that is like the least threatening crew of any action movie I can ever remember. I <laughs> like the main dudes, like a little bit threatening, but like 
the rest of his crew, I'm just like not worried about them at all. At, at any point, and I, and I feel like Joe Pantoliano could like just gone after them on his own and been fine. Yeah, how did they pull off this major heist of a narcotics unit when the rest of the movie they're just a bunch of like schmoes, like jabronis? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a dude that never shows up again, but like in the one car chase, they're in a van. They steal like one of the like drug guys' vans, and it's like a van that has like barrels of ether just like hanging in like netting, where it's like <laughs> swinging back and forth, and it's like. This can't be safe. Like, how did they? Do, I would assume you have to secure like highly flammable ether in like a different oh, way. Oh yeah, they're but just apparently like clinging, not. Like clinging together. They're clinging too. together. Like, oh, don't yeah. worry about it. Like, it's fine. And Martin Lawrence is like ducking under it, or whatever. And then like, so they're being chased by a car that has like one of the henchmen's dudes in it, and he's just like a shirtless guy, where like shooting a shotgun, and it's just like, okay, I guess. It, it it's wild and the dude in the kangle hat i really like this uh his name is noah traficante so it's like oh right on the nose God. <laughs> oh ridiculous I, I i would be remiss if i didn't mention like i was like visibly shaken when i saw marge Helgen, helgenberger's hair like when she can, she's <laughs> like that affected me very deeply when I saw it. It was all the poor women wild. who were in that police station had the worst haircuts, just like these poofy nineties numbers. And it, it, oh, it was so bad. I can't, I, I cannot imagine a lot of, and I mean, anybody like male or female looking back on like nineties fashion, looking back on it. I can't imagine many people are like, happy or like proud of what they wore like and that scares me about like us is like oh, for sure dude. people used dude people used to think like the 90s were like beyond that kind of thing but this is like 95 and the fashion was that fucked up like what are our kids gonna look at our, us in like pictures you know from when you know we were we're like you know in our 30s and they're gonna look at it and be like you're a goddamn loser dad yeah for sure i mean i already look at my college pictures and i was like why did i wear that golf polo shirt like <laughs> an awful uh goatee to that party oh boy or like puka shell necklaces like dude. when we were in high school like whoa oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. dude I, uh, God, my kids are going to I am really glad in high school I went to a Catholic school. So I got the, I mean, I'm not glad for a bunch of reasons, but I am glad because I got to wear a uniform every day. So I have less embarrassing photos from when I was in high school of my, like, of my fashion sense. No, I'm just going to like burn all those photos. I, I have them somewhere, but like, like they, they'll like singe your retinas if you see them. Dude, I had a, I don't know if I told you about this. I had, uh, in like eighth grade, I want to say we had the, so we would have the eighth grade dances, super sidebar. And we had these eighth grade dances. And so I, like you would go to a smaller Catholic school for like middle school that would feed, like there would be like five or six that would feed into like the main high school. And so that's where you'd like, you'd meet the people you're going to be going to the high school with soon. And for some reason I found these like fantastic blue mesh hats at walmart and i was like you know what i'm gonna wear to the great the, the grade school dance i'm gonna make a visor out of it draw in <laughs> magic marker fabs on it 
and I wore them <laughs> to like the, these dances and like a couple of people, I don't know if they're making fun of me, probably were like, Hey, those are awesome. Can you make me some? And so I like brought them to the next dances and they wore them. They would wear them like upside down and they were like, you know, the quote unquote, like popular kids. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I have a photo. I'll try to find a photo and we can tweet it out of me, like with one of those visors. But I do remember wearing the Kangol hats. Um, it was a junior year of high school. I, I'll send you this photo, Steve. It was like me at our homecoming bonfire with like a backwards Kangol hat, a button snap <laughs> Levi denim, like shirt and then like, <laughs> like cargo shorts. And I was like, Oh, I'm rocking this outfit today. Uh, but yes, I know I will be made fun of for that outfit. There's the, there's no more baller alpha move than not only making your own hat, but then writing your name on it. Like like it's the like designer brand. It was like I was like throwing it out as if I was like LeBron James at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary. Like I know yeah, I'm going to be the number one draft pick. Like I don't care that I look ridiculous. Oh god! Like the all all basketball players now and like many like all athletes have like their own like logos out of their initials like you yeah. were ahead of the game dude. Oh, way ahead of the yeah because this is like lebron was only like a sophomore when i was a in like eighth grade so like he yeah i was branding the shit out of myself dude it was the it was the jump man logo and you yep <laughs> all right so uh because my answer would be yes to this but where do you do you think this one kind of holds up against like you know modern modern time Oh, of like modern action movies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like when I was watching this, um, I got just as much joy of watching this as I have like the last two or three Mission Impossibles, the like the John Wick movies. Yeah, any of the modern like James Bond movies, which I know are have become more uh, serious and more like dramatic. But yeah, no, this movie holds up really well. Like the the plots, you know, it's a pretty standard, easy plot to follow. Um, but like you said, I think the the best thing this movie has going for it are the personalities of uh, the two leads. Marcus's wife is amazing in this movie, and uh, and their captain, like he's great. So I I I think. I think those things being so well done and then the action sequence and the action sequences, none of them are like corny or anything like that. They all hold up like really well. They're really well executed. Uh, and I mean, the bad boys movies, like their big, like go-to move is the, the big, uh, like car chases and stuff like that with tons of shit exploding. Uh, so yeah, this movie holds up like without a doubt. Yeah. I think like the, the, climactic scene in like the airport hangar with all the, I mean, obviously absurd, you know, uh, obscene explosions and and tons of like everything's blowing up. And the, you know, the big car chase at the end is really good on the air, on the uh, strip. Uh, That all holds up really great. I will say that I uh, am because there's a scene in it where the drug guy, which like, I don't even remember the hell what his name was, but uh, he opens up a briefcase of money and it just made me think about how like I'm I'm sad that we don't have a lot of movies anymore where like a villain is opening up a briefcase full of money. Like that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah I miss that. everything is so like digitized. Well, I like that. They yeah, have, like, it was really interesting that what their deal was, their deal was like 20 million in cash and then 180 million wired. So like I like that there was some like negotiate like I don't want it all. I need some walking around money, but I want the bulk of this, the bulk of my money to be, to be wired to me. Yeah. Hey, he's a smart villain. 
He was. No, he got it. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that like final fight um, when they like ram the uh, garbage truck through the airport hangar to oh, like, you know, yeah. surprise. Like, it's great, man. Like, it's that. I mean, you know, nobody, I think, could ever say that Michael Bay can't do an action sequence because like that is his bread and butter. It's just sometimes the things in between that get in the way of him making what would I, what would be like a truly great movie um which he kind of leaves himself open a lot of the time to like criticism because of his like i don't know his the desires he can't control so case in point like uh six underground his most recent movie i it dude that movie is like on acid it's crazy dude, i had no idea what was going on for the first at any point at any point no the whole movie i'm just like wait like what's happening like am i supposed to be understand i was like is something wrong with me did like i accidentally eat some bad chocolate like (laughs) yeah i was so like out of my ass confused and because i thought 13 hours that movie was so much fun and that movie was so i loved it like it was great loved it and i I like that i i think michael bay's his best when it is the the basic overall plot is like very reined in and simple, but when he's like thrown in all these extra, like, like Pearl Harbor, I think Pearl Harbor would have been made a million times better if they get rid of the whole, and I'm sure he was like forced to add the whole like romance triangle thing. But if that was just like reined in and like, that wasn't part of it, I think it would have been so much better. Like this movie has a super simple plot and characters that you love. And so like, I'm, I'm the uh, big action sequences. Those are just like, those are just candy. Like that's just extra for me. Um, but yeah, when he goes, tries to go to these other realms, that's when I think he gets into a little bit of trouble. Dude, speaking of Pearl Harbor though, the fact that he was fairly restrained in that is like kind of surprising and commendable in that. Like every single movie that if he dude, well, like beyond crazy, like he would have gotten, that was like pre Twitter and he would have like, that would have been all over the news for a month. Well, dude, like every movie of his, like one of his trademarks is that there's a shot where there's like a bear woman's ass, like in the shot, like to frame it. And I can't believe there's not a scene in Pearl Harbor where like there's a woman standing on a cliff watching the Japanese zero planes, like bomb Pearl Harbor with like her naked ass out. Well, it's like yeah, happening like, in the back, like cliff diving the morning of Pearl Harbor. And like, she, yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> she's wearing like a thong bikini somehow in like the forties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, so you got to give him some credit on that, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, he is his own worst enemy most of the time and that I don't think he, I, 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 but that's like his style and like he wants, I can give him like props for like having a style and like doing what he wants to do for the most part. And like, I mean, I'd say more often than not, more often than not, it works. It's just like a matter of like, when you, like you said, when you sit down to watch a Michael Bay movie, like, you know what you're going to get. And it's just a matter of like, am I ready to watch that right now? Like, am I in the right headspace for a Michael Bay movie? Yeah. Do I have two hours and 45 minutes? Am I going to be able to like realize there is going to be a lot of metal flying in the air? I'm not always going to know what it is or like who's in it or who just died or did they not just die? But yeah, I do like that you at least know. I think that's cool to like be a director and have a total like trademark that like people know like what to expect going into your your movies. And also, you know, I want to give some love for uh, I think one of his more ridiculous movies, The Island. I like super, I dig that movie a lot. That movie is like really fun. And he does like a weird thing 
where he he he'll pick an actor like an unorthodox like Joe uh, Pantaleone is like that actor in this movie. The island in Armageddon he uses uh, Steve Buscemi, where they play these like bizarre like comic relief characters. Um, and I, I think he does a really good job of creating that character. And because I, I, he always has that character pop up, and I, I want to see that character. So yeah, I mean Michael Bay, you know, he, he, you know what you're getting into with him. Yeah, it's basically like getting hit in the head with a lead pipe while watching a movie and you just have to be ready for it. So if you're okay yeah. with that, then I think like you can, you can take a step back, nurse your head wound and enjoy a Michael Bay movie for what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the one thing we almost forgot, uh, this movie probably has the best cop duo saying of all time. We, we ride together. We die together. Bad boys for life. And dude, the line uh, that the line that I the line that I wrote down that I thought was kick ass was when Will Smith's arguing with Martin Lawrence. He says, I get up and take it to the max every day. Like, <laughs> I can't wait to like when my son gives me lip someday, like when he's older, you know, like in sixth grade and like he's just like talking back. I could get in his face and say that I get up early and take it to the max every day and then, and then just like shut him down. Exactly. Like in his, he's like, Oh, you're right. You do get up every morning and take it to the max dad. You're, you're totally right. I want to uh, make everybody, I want to make everybody in my family, everybody in the house is going to, they're all going to know who gets up and takes it to the max every day. You should just get a tattoo, a neck tattoo. It says, take it to the max. <laughs> and, yeah and then like you know yeah we'll make it one large ring so it's like it goes around the entire neck oh yeah so yeah and the back says every day yeah i like it. yeah no i mean i honestly like if you're not taking it to the max what are you doing that's true no totally right uh but yeah no great movie uh it's on netflix right now uh rewatch both the first and second are both on netflix they hold up like so well uh and it's like a total great pre-gamer if you're gonna go see the new movie uh, out in theaters, kicking some ass in theaters. I think it's the number one movie right now. I'm pretty sure it is. But yeah, it's it's really fun to see Martin Lawrence and Will Smith back back in uh, back in some great movies and uh, love love me some bad boys. All right, guys, uh, that does it for bad boys. A uh, little plug, little pluggy plug. Make sure to follow Revenge of Nineties Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on Facebook, and then also follow robot butt on uh your preferred social media platform and uh we'll see you there <laughs>